0: Good morning, Grace. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Genesis 33 this morning, if you would. Uh, man, it is so good to start a service with a heaping dose of reminder of, in Christ, where are we headed? Man, if you, I don't know if you noticed, throughout the whole morning, that's been one of the themes in that last song especially. Let's sing it again. The hour this morning is hastening on even though we might feel like our life is going nowhere, Jesus is never going to come back, nothing is going to change, this pain's not going to go away. The hour is actually hastening on where we're, we're going to be forever with the Lord. And all those things that that we can't wait to be rid of are going to be gone, sorrow uh, and fears and disappointment, sorrow forgot. That those two words are amazing. Sorrow forgot one day, won't even remember sorrow. Um, and earlier we sang in that song, with hearts that are restored. We'll sing with hearts that are restored without divided loyalty and, and, and hidden clinging sin. But we're also reminded throughout our singing this morning that we're not there yet. That, that uh, as we sang that uh, um, our course isn't finished and the work isn't done. And there's thorny ways and it's leading to a joyful end, but we're not there yet. That's why we're here this morning, to help one another and be encouraged to continue on. The work isn't done um, and and to remain faithful, to remain trusting in God. As we turn to Genesis 33, I want to point one other line out. That was just what, what struck me this morning as we're singing. Once, these songs I knew we were going to be singing. And I thought, wow, as, as we're in Genesis, this is a helpful reminder of what we're looking for as we go here. We sang earlier by faith. We see the hand of God in the lives of those who prove His faithfulness, who walk by faith and not by sight. So as we are looking at these lives of these people, these people like Jacob, who at times walk by faith and not by sight, God proves Himself faithful, and by faith we see this. And we're encouraged that he'll be faithful in the same ways to us. It reminds us what this story ultimately is about, is a God who's faithful, who's made incredible promises, and who will keep every one of them. I'm struck, though, God also proves himself faithful to those who walk by sight and not by faith. Think about that a second. How true has that been of Jacob so far through Genesis and that's what Jacob's all about, walking by sight, walking by sight. I got to get the blessing. I got to make this happen. I got to get the wives, got to get the sheep and, or the herds. And, 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 and God finally brought him to an end of himself in chapter 32. But, but even as he's walking by sight and not by faith, God also proves himself faithful. We see God's hand working in both situations. So that's good news this morning because we're probably in various stages of both, walking by faith, walking by sight, and somewhere in between this morning. But in 32 last week, uh, Genesis 32, Jacob seems to have turned a corner. Uh, as Rob preached uh, this beautifully, that God finally stripped him of all self-sufficiency, all those things that Jacob was, was trying to walk by sight, and he finally brings him to the point of complete weakness, pinned to the ground, touches his hip, gives him a limp, he's out. All he can do is, with tears, cling to God and say, please bless me. And he even brings him to the point of honesty and confessing his name. Who are you, Jacob? I'm Jacob. I'm Cheater. I'm giving that up. And he, and he blesses him and he gives him a new name. He owns up to his sins of his past with God. I'm, I cheated God. And God blesses him. But he hasn't owned up to any of that with Esau yet, has he? No, and it struck me, you I, you would think, I would think, maybe I won't say you, I would think that it would be easier for us to confess our sins to other people who are imperfect like I am, like you are, than it would be to confess and own our sin to God. I mean, he's the holy one, right? He's the judge of all the earth. I mean, the earth trembles before him and cries holy. But the crazy thing is, I think for most of us, in most situations, it's easier for us to confess our sins to God because we know he, if, he, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we know what we can find there. But then to get up and go to the people that we have sinned against and ask their forgiveness and confess our sins to them, that's scary, isn't it? Because that's unpredictable. I can count on God and who he'll be if I come to him and confess my sin, but I can't count on who you'll be and others will be and here he is, Jacob now is limping away from Peniel toward Esau. In the beginning of our passage, he can see him now and the men coming with him. And he's got to own up to his, the sins of his past from 20 years ago. And I think we begin to see a new Jacob in this chapter. Not perfect, not arrived, uh, but beginning to walk by faith and, and less by sight. And so I want to pause and just pray that God would help us to walk by faith, not by sight, in some of the ways that we see happening here this morning. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll read our passage. God, this, this passage is, is about reconciliation. This passage is about... Um, Uh, Acceptance and and mercy being given when it's not deserved. It's about forgiveness. It's about peace being restored where relationships were broken. And you are the God of reconciliation. You are standing in the shadows of this whole story. You are the one that brings about this surprising uh, moment of of grace and peace and forgiveness between these two brothers. And God, I, I believe that you, among us at Grace, you want to use this passage and this message and this time this morning to stir up, uh, forgiveness being sought forgiveness being offered because you have forgiven us I pray that the, the forgiveness and the peace we have through Christ would ha- do its transforming work more in us this morning that we would have wonderful stories to share in the future great things that we've seen you do works of reconciliation that we wouldn't have, have imagined Lord Lord Give us open and and humble hearts to hear this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read it. Genesis 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. (laughs) So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in the front, and then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph, last of all. He himself, notice, went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, I don't think that's a wrestling hold, I think that's a good thing, and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the servants drew near. They and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that i met?" Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please. If I've found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that's brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And thus he urged him, and he took it. And then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and and I'll go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail. The nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they're driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I'll lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord and Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. And so Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, made booths for his livestock, and therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way to Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means God, God, the God of Israel. Okay, so right at the outset, I want to point out there is disagreement about how to read Jacob here? Some commentators are sort of pessimistic and think, you know, what this is still more of the same old Jacob here. He's still kind of be trying to manipulate and 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 make this work with Esau and and, and 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 sort of make away himself and and he he gets sort of shady at the end there. He does, He's not entirely entirely upfront with with Esau at the end. And same old Jacob. And but others say, no, I think we see a different Jacob here. Not perfect Jacob, but we begin to see some signs of a Jacob coming away from this wrestling encounter with God who's been changed and is beginning uh, to walk more by faith than he was before. And I am inclined to agree. and can give him a little bit more generous reading. Notice some of the signs of the same old Jacob are here. I was talking to Rob Lister this week. He said some of his clay feet keep showing up. You know, he's he's walking by faith, but then he has one of these moments. But certainly at the beginning, his favoritism is still here, and that's not good, right? He still, as he lines up the family to walk out and, and face the music with Esau, they're still in order from his least favorite to his his most favorite, and that's kind of ugly. And at the end, there's, in a second, we're going to deal with this bit of, you know, uh, not being quite straight with uh, Esau. But notice what's different. If you look back in 32 and 33, uh, there's some similarities. Look at uh, verse 6 in chapter 32. Before this encounter, these messengers return to Jacob and they say, We came to your brother Esau, he's coming to meet you, there's 400 men with him. And so Jacob, hearing this, look what it says, he was greatly afraid and distressed, and he runs into panic mode, he divides the whole camp into two halves, and you go this way, you go that way, that way, you know, sort of minimize my losses in case God doesn't come through, and he's sort of scrambling, and he throws up this desperate prayer to God to to, to save him notice here in 33 and jacob lifted up his eyes now and now with his own eyes behold esau is coming but it doesn't give a comment again about he he's greatly afraid or distressed it says he he arranges his family he lines them up maybe not in the order that we'd prefer but notice where he goes Unlike in chapter 32, he sends all of them ahead of the, and he stays behind. All of a sudden, now he walks out in the front, he himself, bowing to Esau as he goes. He puts himself in the position where if this goes south, he'll be the first one to be taken out. So that's a different Jacob, I think. And remember the prayer that he prayed, even in 32, was quite sincere. I mean, he says to God, He says, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country that I may do your good. He first of all says, I'm not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. With only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. Now I've become two camps. Even before this encounter with God, we see a humbling in in Jacob and in this prayer, and a dependence. He says, God, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. I fear him, that he may come and attack me and the mothers and the children. But you said, I will surely do you good. And so even though he's sending these droves ahead of him, these these gifts, I still think it's with the hope that God is going to answer that prayer and bless his efforts to make right and grant him favor with Esau. I think we do see a different Jacob here in this passage. Now he gets up, he's fresh from hearing God change his name, and I think he's going to face the music and, and, and make his best attempt to reconcile with Esau. That's his intention. And the story breaks into two parts. The first half, in verse, up to verse 11, is the reconciliation. Jacob and Esau reconcile. And then in verse 12, Jacob has to separate himself from Esau. And here's the deal. Okay, I, I, just so you, in case you've not noticed that, this about me, I have this chronic drive that I feel like we have to talk about everything. We have to cover everything in the passage. I can't leave anything undone. And sometimes I don't think that's a good idea. And I really want to focus on the first half of this, sir, the, the passage this morning. But I can't leave that last bit there. But I don't want to end with it. So is it okay if I switch these around, just go to the end real quick? Because there's, there's something going on here. But I really want to hunker down on the reconciliation. Permission granted? Okay, thank you. All right, so here's what I think happens at the end. In fact, I'm going to change my mind a little bit from first service. I had a great conversation after first service. I'm telling you, we don't have all this right all the time, and we're trying to interpret here. But listen, here's how this goes down. At verse 12, the reconciliation has happened, the unthinkable. They've hugged and made, made up for this, this sin of the past. He's not going to attack him. And now there's this uncomfortable, awkward situation because Esau says, come on down to Edom with me. Edom is not in the land that God has called Jacob to return to. Esau's clearly struck out from the family, struck out on his own, settled outside of the land and made it name for himself down there. So Jacob can't say yes. That would be disobeying. God has called him back to the land. Esau's not being faithful right here. So he can't say yes. But he also doesn't want to just come right out and say no. And I think we contend with our Western lenses, read this as more disingenuous, disingenuous than we ought to maybe. And in many cultures, many Eastern cultures, many Asian cultures, many ancient cultures, he might be diplomatically trying to allow Esau to save face. Here, Esau has just accepted from his hand his, his present, his blessing as a token that they're really forgiven. There's, there's peace here. He says, "Come on down with me." And rather than say, "I can't go down there," he he sort of culturally gives him a way out. He says, "No, no, no, that's fine. We're, we're slow." He kind of gives an excuse, and I'll catch up to you. And and then Esau says, "Okay, well, let me leave some men with you at least." And Jacob says, "No, you've done enough." He says, "Please, let me show me that I found favor in your sight." And and Esau gives it up, and he he says, "Okay," and he goes and. Now maybe Jacob's being a little bit of the old Jacob there, not just wanting to come right out and say it, but but it could be that there's an understanding as they settle that Esau's not leaving going, boy, I sure can't wait to see Jacob down in Seir. He's going to be here in just a few days. That Esau understood, ah, I see, he, he can't come with me, but he's, he's, he's allowing me to save face. But But either way, the takeaway is that he can't go down there. That's not the land of promise. And now Esau is another one of these sons who has come through the line of promise, but That's not where the seed of promise is going to go. It's sticking with Jacob, and he can't go with Esau. He has to continue to the land of his fathers, and he moves to Succoth and begins to build and finally to Shechem, and he actually builds land and plants an altar and names it now God, the God of Israel. And we see by the end of this chapter, um, Jacob now calling God his God for the first time. Okay, back to verses 1 through 11. Jacob reconciles with esau i 've just been moved by this this scene here, and the, the the hint it is of of a God who reconciles and burden that God would use this text and this time this morning to to maybe bring out about an outpouring of seeking forgiveness of, of giving forgiveness because we know how forgiven we are that maybe in, in a weeks from now at our reflection service, we could hear stories even of God. Bringing about the sort of reconciliation that we even see a glimpse of in here. It's beautiful. So three takeaways I I, I want us to get from God uh, bringing about this reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. Number one, God can bring reconciliation where we would never imagine it. God is able to restore peace, bring healing. Healing. Cover over past hurts and abuses and and lies and brings genuine forgiveness and peace in relationships where we would think that would never happen. Man, do we need to believe that? Don't we? I'm sure this is how Jacob felt in this situation, could never imagine what ends up happening here, that this is the way it goes down. Maybe at very best, he could maybe imagine an Esau who's been assuaged enough that he doesn't kill them all. But at the opening of this chapter, Jacob certainly couldn't have imagined what happens here. Behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. All right, God, I don't know what you're going to do here, right? right. The last time he'd seen Esau, he'd stolen his identity, stolen his rightful firstborn blessing, and headed for the hills. Got away with it. And the last thing we read about Esau is that he hated Jacob, and that he was conspiring, once Isaac was dead, I'm going to kill him. Man, and I was struck. These are twin brothers here. I mean, I'm sure that there's exceptions, but I've heard that the bond between twins is often... Even kind of uniquely a strong bond. And now here's this twin who just wants to murder his brother. And now here comes his brother with this giant family and household that's all come. He's getting blessed. The the, the one who stole the blessing. How is this possibly going to end well? But it does. We get to verse 4 and it's amazing. But Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, and they wept. If you weren't here for our reading service, Phil Watson read as Esau. And I love how he did it. He runs up to Jacob, and everyone has this moment of <gasps> Jacob's eyes got really big. And then he went all Chris Farley on, and brothers got a hug, and he just gives him this huge embrace. And Jacob must have been thinking, what in the world? And just burst into tears in this embrace. I mean, this is not the scene we expect. And if we're not convinced that this is real, this reconciliation, a few verses later, first, as Jacob says, this this is all a gift. I'm trying to make restitution. And Esau says, I have enough. Keep, Keep it. And then as he urges, says, no, please, okay, I realize that now I'm forgiven, Jacob, basically. I'm paraphrasing here. But he urges him to take it as a token that he's been accepted. Okay, maybe that's not what won your forgiveness, but please, if you've really accepted me, would you take this present, this blessing? He uses the B word, the blessing, which would have reminded Esau of that 20 years ago moment. But, But he says, allow me now to bless you because God has dealt graciously with me and I have enough. And he urges him and Esau takes it. In other words, he accepts this token. He, he shows Jacob, no, you really are accepted by receiving the gift. And then on top of that, we don't see in the rest of Genesis, Genesis any indication that this was short-lived. At least for this generation between Esau and Jacob, there's peace. The only time Jacob, uh, Esau comes back into town is so that the, the two of them together can bury their father when Isaac dies. And that's it. This is real reconciliation that happens. And we're supposed to give God the credit here. Even though, unlike the Laban situation, where here comes Laban and and Jacob's afraid for his life and God appears to Laban in a dream and says, don't harm him, don't speak a word against him, and Laban complies. Here, we're not told that God showed up to Esau in a dream and says, don't you harm him. We're not told what it is exactly that makes Esau ready to forgive on arrival. But that doesn't mean that God's not involved in this scene. Remember again, we're told about his prayer for a reason, right? Jacob's prayer. We're told that he prays, God, deliver me from Esau's hand. I fear he's going to attack me. Lord, deliver me. Here he comes. We're supposed to get to verse 4 and read that and say, God did it. He answered his prayer. He delivered him. God did that. And this is encouraging to me, and I hope to us, on sort of a micro level and a macro level. The micro level is this. We have relationships, you have relationships that you might imagine can never reconcile. You can't imagine that being mended and healed. And on the micro level, a story like this reminds us, no, 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 God can bring reconciliation there. You might not be able to think of a pathway that would get there, but it can happen. Maybe children that you've alienated from yourself, and you feel guilt about that and remorse, and maybe you haven't made made right some of the things that push children away. Maybe it's parents that you've taken advantage of in the past, or maybe when you were younger said things or treated them in hurtful ways that you can't go back and undo, and those scars remain and the distance is there. Maybe there's former friendships. People that used to be like brother or sister or family, and now there's a wedge and it feels like that can never be changed. You can't figure out how do we get back to there from here. Marriages with so much past hurt, so many reasons um, in, in the rearview mirror to think trust can never be restored, love can never be a sort of, uh, affection can never be regained. And we have to say, no, God can bring reconciliation where we couldn't imagine it. This is just one story that tells us that. God takes murderous rage and turns it into tearful embrace. We don't expect that. But our hope that God can do this on the micro level is because he's done it on the macro level. This little story on the way to God bringing salvation for all the world through Jesus, this scene in Esau and Jacob's life, is a hint, it's a whisper that God is a reconciling God. He's a peacemaking God. He can make peace where you would never expect it. And if there's anywhere you couldn't expect it, it's between a humanity, a a mankind, who in total have rejected him as creator, doubted him, gone our own way, that he could reconcile the world to himself. That's what this is on the way toward. He can bring peace out of hostility. Keep your finger there. Turn over to Ephesians 2 for a moment, would you? There's a connection here. Paul in Ephesians 2 is writing to Christians, people new in Christ, but many of whom, they weren't born of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They weren't by birth, out of the the line of promise. They were born outside. They were Gentiles. And as he's writing to them, he's describing this incredible reconciliation that God has now brought about. Not just vertically, but horizontally between people. Listen to this. Therefore, remember, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, That you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Kind of like Esau, Esau now is outside of the blessing and promise, insider, outsider. Verse 14, but for he, Christ himself, is our peace. Who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The roots of this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile—that the now Jesus through the cross um, kills that hostility, that dividing wall. The roots go all the way back to Esau and Jacob, even further, right to Ishmael and Isaac. Here goes the line and then here come these other ones through through whom the promise isn't gonna come and they're outside the, the covenant and here's the ones inside and we come all the way down to here and once and for all Jesus comes and at the cross he does away with the dividing wall of hostility between us and God first of all. Jesus goes to the cross, innocent, in our place, and God counts against him uh, the guilt of sin after sin after sin. Jesus hangs on the cross, making restitution, reparation for our wrong. Drove after drove, right? Sin after sin until finally God says, it is enough. There's peace. Jesus has bought it. And what Paul is saying is when two enemies now find that peace with God at the foot of the cross together, now we're getting somewhere. Now peace can happen in this way in places that we would never imagine it ever happening. Individual relationships can be mended. Tribal, national relationships can be mended. Cultural Race, class, these dividing walls of hostility can be broken and destroyed as enemies come to the foot of the cross together. One of the, my favorite stories about two enemies coming to the foot of the cross together and in an incredible, unimaginable way becoming more than just friends but family is Steve Saint. This is a picture of his dad. His dad, Nate Saint, was one of five missionaries who decades ago went down to Ecuador to reach this people group in the rainforest, the Waodani. And in their initial attempts, the five of them were speared to death by a war party from that tribe uh, who were afraid of them. And that man, Minkai, was one of them. That's a picture taken on the riverbank that he ended up losing his life on. Well, his son, Steve Saint, at that point on as a young little boy, grew up without a dad. Well, the gospel came into that tribe eventually. And many, many Wadani came to Christ, including Minkaye, including some of the other men who were part of that warring tribe. Fast forward a few years, Steve Saint is 10. He's going back with his, his mom and family to be back in with the tribe for summers. He's now growing up with some of these same people who now have come to Christ. He turns 14. He was baptized in the same Karare River by two of the other men who killed his dad. And this man, Minkaye, who was also guilty of that, he now calls father. That's not a joke. Their relationship has grown over the years where he feels a fatherly, father-son bond with this man who took his, his biological dad's life. They've traveled around the world for years telling this story and sharing the gospel. It's amazing. God is able to reconcile where we would never imagine it. And not just with individual people. But bigger. We we sang about this, this vision of one day where every tribe and tongue are worshiping. One day there will be Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. There'll be Afghanis and Pakistanis worshiping together. There'll be Chinese and Japanese worshiping together. There'll be Hutus and Tutsis. Remember that horrible genocide in Rwanda where millions of one tribe were wiped out by the others? There will be Hutus and Tutsis worshiping and praising Jesus together. There will be North and South Koreans worshiping Jesus together. And not just one day when Jesus returns. God can do that now. That's why we give to missions. That's why we send. There was this wonderful video that Anna and Adam Day posted this last week from IGSL where they teach in the Philippines. And every year they get a new batch of students from all throughout Southeast Asia and the Middle East who come to train and then go back to all of their countries and all their tribes and villages and take the gospel there. And at the beginning of each school year, they have this parade in this big auditorium and all these new students come in like the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, carrying their nation's flag where they've just come from and Lord willing, where they're about to take the gospel back to after they've been trained. And I couldn't pick out all the flags and recognize them, but I bet if I took the time and named them all, we would see flags there that don't get along. And they're coming into this parade, singing this hymn about redemption in Christ at the cross. It's amazing. Maybe you need to be reminded of this this morning because you are someone who's been sinned against. And it's hard for you to imagine, maybe impossible for you to imagine, your heart ever softening enough to give forgiveness, the heart of the one who sinned against you ever being soft enough to seek that forgiveness. God can reconcile. Maybe you need to hear that this morning because you're the one who sinned against someone else. And maybe even though you might be willing now to own that and walk into that, you could never imagine actually receiving the, the forgiveness that you want. This story says otherwise. God can bring about reconciliation where we would never imagine it. Second and third point really are just underneath this. That's the big picture. God can reconcile Point number two, making things right with those you've sinned against is evidence that God has changed your name. I think that's what we see here. I think that what might have begun, as we read at the beginning of chapter 32, as a bit more of an appeasement strategy on Jacob's part, let me just sort of smother Esau's anger with gifts. Send them out drove after drove. But then he prays and says, God, deliver me. I think when he comes face to face with Esau and receives the forgiveness and the acceptance of Esau, he's undone by this. And you see evidence of this change in his heart because what maybe began as an act of appeasement now becomes a gift, an offering to Esau um, that's offered on behalf of the acceptance he already has. Look how it it, it shakes down. Esau, after, hey, introducing me to your family, he says, well, what's all this company that I just met? which sounds like that's not what changed Esau's heart necessarily. Hey, what's, what's, what's all these droves I had to get through to get to you? Jacob says, well, it's so that I might find favor in your sight. And Esau says, I have enough, brother. You, you can keep that. And then Jacob says, if I've found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. He even uses the B word, accept my blessing. The word that would have reminded Esau of what he had stole, that scoundrel had stolen, but he, he says, "Listen, I, I know that all of this is because of this part, the blessing I stole, and now God has been gracious to me. But if you have truly accepted me, allow me to to make good for. I mean, to to give from some of the, the, the graciousness that God has given to me. Please accept this from my hand." And and Esau accepts it as a token of that. He receives it. I think Jacob realizes. God had dealt graciously with him. Now Esau has dealt graciously with me. And, and he shows it. You know, apologies can be empty, right? I, I have three kids, 12, 10, and almost five. And daily we hear hollow apologies in our home. <laughs> Just, sorry. What are you supposed to say? Hey, go make that right, sorry. Words are one thing. But when we demonstrate repentance and sorrow over sin by doing what we can to try to make right and show there, there, there's a demonstration of the repentance in the heart and I think we see a glimpse of this in Jacob he he's so glad to be reconciled with his brother and he offers this this offer of reparation or restitution he can't give back the blessing he stole but he can give generously to Esau um, out of what God has given him You know, in our Luke reading this week, we read. I'm I'm in the thick of this passage. Then we read the Zacchaeus. I read the Zacchaeus story. I think on Wednesday, and here's this chief tax collector, and everyone's like, "Don't bother Jesus. He doesn't. He doesn't mix with you." And Jesus says, "Oh, actually, I'm coming to your house for lunch today." And he comes, and I don't know what doesn't say what happens over the lunch, but something good happened because all of a sudden Zacchaeus stands up in the meal, and he says, "Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give the poor. If I've defrauded anyone," I restore it fourfold. He certainly defrauded people. He was the chief tax collector. But he doesn't say I'll pay it all back. He says I'll restore it fourfold. And what does Jesus conclude? Today salvation has come to this house. Not because Zacchaeus offered this up. Zacchaeus offering this up was evidence that salvation had come to this house. It was evidence of a changed heart. Here's a question. If you're happy that Jesus has made you right with God, but you're just fine leaving the sins that you've uh, brought about against other people unresolved, there's a problem. There's a disconnect there. Understanding forgiveness, the joy of receiving it, and the beauty of giving it ought to lead us to then seek to be forgiven and, and to make right when we've wronged other people. It should just be a fruit of this transformation. We should want to make peace if we're thankful to have peace made with God. I think that that's what we see in Jacob here. I wonder if there's someone you've sinned against and maybe you've confessed that to God but you haven't made that right. This morning God wants wants you to begin praying and saying, how can I make this right? As far as it depends on me, how can I be at peace in this relationship? Third, And last, forgiving those who have sinned against you reflects God's character. Forgiving those who don't deserve it, that looks like God. As surprising as verse 4 was for me this week, Esau hugging and kissing and embracing Jacob instead of throttling him. Verse 10 is maybe more surprising. Of all the people that you would not expect to be told looks like God, it's Esau. Maybe Laban, right? (laughs) Maybe a little bit more unimaginable. But Esau here, and that's exactly what Jacob says. Look at it in verse 10. Seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. That's Esau. Why? Well, he says it, for you have accepted me. It wasn't just seeing Esau's face, it was seeing Esau's accepting face. Remember, he had just seen the face of God in chapter 32, and at the end Jacob said, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. That and yet tells us, Jacob understood, I didn't deserve that. I deserved his judgment. I deserved God's anger, but instead I received his mercy and his acceptance. That was unmerited. And now he comes humbly to Esau. All this bowing, that's part of it. He's coming humbly. He knows he deserves whatever might be coming, and he comes humbly, but just like with God, Jacob receives Esau's mercy and acceptance, his unmerited favor. He doesn't even get his apology out of his mouth before Esau's on him with the bear hug. Pagan Esau looks like God in this chapter because forgiveness looks like God. We also read a couple of weeks ago in Luke the prodigal son's story and there is a similarity in, near the end of Jesus telling this story or the, the middle part of telling this story that I don't think is coincidence. See if you see what I mean. In his story there's a man, he has two sons and the younger one demands his inheritance from the father which is basically like saying hey dad can we fast forward to the part where you're dead and I get all your stuff? Thanks. And then he goes and he squanders it all. And when he hits his his lowest point, he hits rock bottom, the best he can imagine is maybe if I come back, my father will allow me to be one of his hired servants. Maybe. And he comes back, and while he's still a long way off, Luke 15, 20, his father saw him, felt compassion, he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Same three words, ran, to him, ran to the offender, embraced him, and kissed him. Derek Kidner, he's a British commentator. He has the shortest commentary on Genesis. He doesn't waste words, and you can tell, but he says, it seems our Lord could find no better model for the prodigal's father at this point than Esau. We're not told why Esau forgave Jacob, but Esau's forgiveness looked to Jacob like God's kind of forgiveness. I don't deserve it, but I'm being accepted. And as Christians, we're called to forgive, but we're clearly told why we ought to forgive. Just as we finish, listen to this, Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive i don't know why esau forgave jacob but we know why we're called to forgive because we've been forgiven and we know how good it feels and god's given us his holy spirit to help us experience how good it feels to to give forgiveness to be like god and that to image god in that way and reflect his forgiveness in the world so here as we close some of you god is calling this morning to forgive Maybe even begin extending forgiveness that hasn't been asked for yet. And maybe God, through you, making that initial initial move is gonna draw repentance um, out of the the other party. Maybe, maybe not. Either way, it'll reflect God's grace and forgiveness. Some of you, God is calling this morning to seek forgiveness, to make right, as far as it depends on you, to be at peace. You've broken peace, and God wants you to mend that peace. Maybe he's calling some of us to do both. Maybe we have both categories light up in our mind. Oh, I got this, that. Either way, this doesn't come naturally to us. And so I want us to pray before we close with one final song. Pray, God can bring about reconciliation where we never imagine it. Maybe start silently and just thank God that God's brought reconciliation between you and God. If he hasn't, that's where you need to start. God, I don't know if I have peace with you. Help me to turn from my sin. Help me to trust myself to Christ who paid for my sin and make peace with me this morning. And then in light of that, talk to the Lord about these things. Let's pray.